Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Yeah, man, how are you? How are you, how are you doing? How are you getting on? How's things been the last kind of few few strange months that we've been been going through yeah i mean i just i think i feel okay about things in a strange way i think what's been kind of the most notable thing is just how quickly you know humans seem to adapt and kind of embrace the new normality yeah i'm i've kind of got used to it i've i kind of initially was uh relieved relieved that you know i think we were on tour um, as all the kind of lockdowns were were being initiated, so we were kind of like skipping from one country to the next, just you know missing the border closing before we got to the next place. And so there was this kind of, I guess, when we got back to London, um, this kind of overwhelming feeling of like, oh, phew, like we we did it. Um, and then we uh, spent the next few months just at home, not really doing very much. Um, and then seeing all the festivals cancelled and. You know, everyone losing their jobs and just kind of you're like, oh, crap. The kind of um, pandemonium, yeah. Yeah, and um, to be honest, nothing has really changed since we started in that regard. I don't think anything is clearer. Yet everyone's just had enough time to probably kind of come to terms with that, really. And not that that's a positive or a negative, really. I think it's just just the way things are at the moment. Um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely better mental health wise that everyone's kind of, like you say, come to terms with it a bit more and is. As you said, adapted, yeah. I think you know it's it's the obvious thing, but I think you know those who who are more privileged um, are more relaxed about it, and I I can only imagine for for the vast majority of people that this is an incredibly scary time, especially what we're kind of approaching now, when you know the possibility of all the, well the, well the inevitability of a furlough being taken away, and you know every single market pretty much seems to be shrinking. So there's less jobs anyway, um, and you know that's that's worrying. I think appro- approaching Christmas and beyond, I think it's going to get definitely more bleak rather than 
uh, the opposite, you know? Yeah, it's going to get darker for a while before things kind of start to turn around and, and pick up again. Yeah, so I mean, that I think what in a, in a roundabout way, what I'm trying to say is that I am grateful, I think. I feel quite privileged that, one, that I'm creative and that I, I can just be locked away for months and, and kind of be okay with that. Um, I just kind of do my own thing, really. And I, I'm, I'm more aware now than ever that that's kind of a skill in its own. I think, you know, my wife was going absolutely mental during the first few months, you know, just like full-on stir-crazy, needed to go and see people. I'm like, we can't go and see people. Like, that's not something we're allowed to do. And, you know, having to kind of explain that, you know, although it probably would be fine, it's like, you know, we've got to kind of try and set a precedent, you know, and... um and I think I didn't struggle with that as much at all. I think I was like, I'm just fine. I'm like here. I'm, you know, strumming away on a guitar, you know, writing a little tune or something. And, um, you know, the hours fly by, the days fly by. But I think if you don't have that kind of outlet, then um, it can be really taxing on the, on, on, on the mind, you know. Did it pass quite quick for you then? Did it kind of go by fairly quickly? Or? Yeah, I, to be honest, it has kind of flown by. Um, since we finished the, um, the tour, we, we left Melbourne in... I think the beginning of beginning of March, I think, and um, you know we just played Sydney before, and, and on the day we played Sydney, they'd cut the venue sizes down to 500 was the maximum you could play, and I think we played to 450 people or something. So they let that show happen, and then you know we were like, okay, well, and, you know things at that point things were changing by the day, so we were kind of assuming, well, we've got away with Sydney, Melbourne's probably going to be cancelled, but at least you know we've come, we've played a couple of shows, and um, you know it wasn't a complete waste of everyone's time. But then Melbourne did happen as well. There were, I think there were there was a lot of people kind of contacting the venue on the day and asking for their money back. And, you know, they didn't feel safe going to the show, which, you know, it's totally understandable. So I think the um, the anxiety was, was being ramped up at that point. And um, I feel like, you know, that that is obviously still there. But potentially there's a slightly, slightly more of a sense of calmness, I think, now than there was in March. You know, like the the kind of the enemy that is COVID, I think is slightly, slightly better known. Although obviously we don't know everything yet. Yeah, I mean, how is how is like not performing live affect your creative energy? Are you kind of still always making something, or what's the rhythm of your workflow kind of like at the minute when you don't have that kind of feedback from playing live? I think, yeah, kind of. I think maybe the older I get, I think we've done three albums now. I've toured. I, you know, I've done I've done long tours and short tours, and I think I still really enjoy. The touring aspect but at the same time i'm probably less excited about doing you know 22 shows across the uk back to back than i was when i was 18 you know i think now i'm quite happy to do slightly less shows but make each one a bit more special maybe you know so i do i do miss that kind of the creative process of kind of constructing what the tour is going to be and how all those kind of logistical parts come together um in order to make it happen but um i don't think it it doesn't affect me too much i don't think I think there's the, the probably the main loss. I think that the whole band are feeling is just that the festival season was kind of taken away. I think we we had a bit of a a hard run on the last record um, we did with Where Wildness Grows. We didn't, you know, we didn't feel like we got back on the big festivals. You know, we did them on our first record, and we you know we got to play Glastonbury and um, Latitude and a lot of the big European festivals as well. We that list definitely shrunk quite considerably when we did our second record, and we were like, oh shit, we do we do something wrong? Like, you know, is this, you know, is this a failure? Um, and then this time around, we were back on all those lists again and we were back, you know, playing all those festivals. So 
it is a bit of a kick in the teeth, really, when you think, oh, you've worked really hard to try and, you know, kind of pull yourself back to where you where you want to be almost and where you kind of have a, a feeling that that's sort of where, where you belong, you know. But um, that's gone again, and now we have to do it, you know, all, all over again now. It's, um, we're going to have to make another record and, and justify our position on those billings again. So that's quite tough, I think. Um, but at the same time, I've kind of, yeah, like I said, I think I've just come to terms with it now. I'm like, well, look, that's that's the job. That's what you've got to do now. Get going, you know. Are there any positives that come from that pressure? I think there, ha- I think there has to be because, you know, what's the alternative? You kind of curl up in a ball and, and want to die. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think you've got to just keep on kind of fighting away and, and trying to be creative. And it's not always a straight path, I think. You know, I, I, I'm a very much kind of a believer that, you know, inspiration will find you when you're working I think you just got to keep a positive attitude towards the work um you know I I do kind of I guess treat it kind of a bit like a job in the sense that I'll wake up early and I will start you know at nine I'll I'll get I'll open up the computer and I'll I'll start working on things and I'll take lunch and I'll go back and work on it a bit more and then I'll call it a day um so I do try and kind of I try my best to keep kind of regular hours with with writing. I do feel more creative in the morning, probably. If you're just kind of sitting around, like bumming about, waiting to have like this idea for a song, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't really buy into that. But I, I but I've heard from other people that's how they do it. So, you know, it takes all types, I guess. It's interesting. You feel more creative in the morning. When did you kind of notice that, and why do you feel it kind of is? What was the kind of signs that we started rehearsing? I think this was kind of the big change from like becoming. Well, I use the term Lucy, like becoming like a professional band was, you know, before we'd always, you know, you'd rehearse after school um, or after work, you know, you'd go and you'd go to, to the practice room, you'd have a few beers and you'd work on the songs you were doing and, and play them. And, you know, it was always kind of a bit of a jolly in a way. And I think that that was the main difference when we when we signed a record deal. And then we kind of had this like liberating feeling of like, well, now we can not do other stuff and we can start at the beginning of the day you know when we would normally be doing other things and um we got a lot more done it's a lot more productive i think if you're working especially as a group in the mornings the distractions are far more minimal i think so yeah we just kind of got into a habit of doing that so we we are like very much a kind of morning you know we'll start not crazy early but you know we'll, we'll get in at 10 normally and and do sort of three hours quite intense in the morning and that's it you know i think that's kind of the best way to do it i heard recently actually that's kind of how um Lennon and McCartney actually did a lot of their stuff as well. They'd do it before tea and then they'd stop at lunchtime. That'd be it. They'd be done. Which I think makes sense. I just think that everyone kind of, you know, as the day comes on, um, day goes on, you know, more and more thoughts enter the mind. And the closest I get to clarity is, um, you know, as soon as I've woken up almost, you know. Yeah, I guess it's kind of the, the head's clear, like you say. There's nothing else kind of in the way. But then you can build up a nice momentum if you start working early in the day as well. Like if you start and you do a lot, you can have a lot of success in the morning, you can kind of continue that. Yeah, I think the studio is. I think that that certainly applies when you're when you are recording. I think when we when we do sessions and we go away and record, you know, we again we do start very early, but you know, we'll we'll continue pushing on until things don't feel good anymore. You know, be it at you know midnight or at two in the morning. You know, you can just keep going because if you feel like you're making progress, then why stop? Um, but I think at home, it's that's a little bit tougher. I think you've got to kind of be fair to yourself and I, I genuinely believe that I think you know you can't really be truly creative for more than a few hours a day you know not at your top level are there things you can do when you're not at the top level that are kind of still productive or yeah definitely 
I mean, look, we there's load. There's all the thing is, I think what we we're doing now is there's so much work to be done. Um, you know, we became self managed. Um, we parted ways with our company, our management company, um, at the end of our last record, and so we started this whole new new well, this whole new album campaign was was very different. You know, we left um, Transgressive and PS. Um, we left Verdigree Management, um, and we were kind of starting out almost entirely on our own. You know, with the help of our publishers and and a few other key people, but essentially it was a much smaller team and we were still trying to keep things as ambitious if not more ambitious than before so there's a hell of a lot of work involved outside of just the the making the music kind of aspect and you know when it came to the creative and all the artwork side of things you know we, we were collaborating with with very strong um adversaries there with you know the likes of um Davies and, and and Matt de Jong kind of helping us craft things and and kind of going to and from them with ideas and batting things back and forth you know but we're always involved in all these processes now whereas perhaps previously you know we might not have to be speaking directly to the merchandise company about what's being made and what quantity and you know all these kind of I guess smaller details which perhaps you don't want to be involved in but they are important to the kind of um the smooth running of the machine you know if you make lots of little mistakes you can kind of end up fucking everything up quite quickly so um it's been a bit of a learning curve in that sense and trying to figure out all these logistics and you know we've had a lot more responsibility in all of those details this time around um so what i kind of trying to do when structuring my day is i start the day off with the creative aspect when i feel my kind of the freshest and then once I feel like I've kind of hit that threshold, I'm kind of probably not, you know, working at, at my full capacity anymore. Then I turn my attention to work on kind of more of the admin side and I'll reply to emails and I'll speak to our agent and, you know, I'll do all the kind of other details and bits that, that need to be done in order to keep the keep the ship afloat, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I, like what you were saying there about the music videos and everything as well, the creativity kind of carries into everything. I mean, your stage show as well, the way you guys have the ferns on stage, there's those little touches to kind of to add things to it and just kind of build the world of the album almost yeah I, I think that's kind of something we've been trying to do more of now it's, it's strange that you know I think without having probably quite the same level of like you know personnel almost sur- surrounding the band it's been easier to make those decisions because we've just kind of gone and approached people we like and just said like you know for example with Dave who's been a friend of mine for ages but you know he's he's worked with like Foles for years and you know other bigger acts doing you know their videos for them and um just kind of having that direct line of conversation and being like we want to do something like and let, let's just do it and not really having any interference it's just a very pure um simple relationship um and similarly with Matt you know Matt's kind of I think any big album campaign you've seen over the last 10 years in in well the kind of cooler ones I think you know be it Interpol the XX even you know bigger things like Ed Sheeran you know, Matt's been the the creative force behind that, all those visuals. So to have that kind of calibre involved, but also at the same time, not really even have a traditional label structure or, or a management agreement with anyone, you know, those are quite quite bold statements, I think. So despite um, stripping things down, I think we've kind of ended up in many ways kind of bolstering our, our kind of assets, you know? Yeah, I mean, it feels like a more intimate record, but it's also kind of stronger I guess the core is there but you're kind of just refining it and building outward from it yeah I think we just know more I think that there is just more of a clearer vision about what we want to do I think all the the kind of you know and these are perhaps the more boring bits maybe people don't really care so much about this stuff because I think at the end of the day most people just want to listen to music and they either like it or they don't right but 
you know, there is a lot more to it than that, um, especially as a band these days. And our, our ambition really in, in kind of mixing things up and, you know, leaving Transgressive was not an easy decision for us to make because, you know, we have become, you know, very, very good friends with all the people there. We've worked with them for years and um, we had to move in a way because we needed to build something that was more sustainable. You know, under the parameters we were working with a management company with a, a traditional label deal, you know, it wasn't sustainable. You know, there's there's four members of a band and there isn't a great deal of money in um, guitar music, really, unless you're at a really, really high level. So, you know, we had to make some hard decisions in order to kind of say, well, look, do we want to carry on making albums? Do we want to be able to go and tour? You know, do we want to be, you know, getting to our fifth, sixth, seventh album? Or, or do we kind of end up having to cut a lot of corners and, and do this again as a, as a real sort of part-time hobby? So I guess, again, one of the, one of the big shames about the, the pandemic hitting is that we'll never truly know how successful that all those changes were because we ended up losing an entire festival worth of season. I'm um, sorry, a whole, a whole season worth of festivals. So, um, you know, it's not going to be a true representation about what our achievements were or weren't um, off the back of this. But, um, you know, I, do, I still think we, you know, we should be fairly proud about what we've achieved with, with the kind of resources we've had at our disposal, you know? Definitely. I think what you're saying there is like forcing yourself to ask those questions then like results in you coming stronger, having a kind of clearer vision on the other side. Just taking that time to kind of think and properly... You know, spend a lot of time discussing these things and working it out it makes the band stronger as a whole. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, it's it's a hard realisation because it's not it's not you saying that other people don't care, um, because that's not true. I think, you know, no one really gets involved with music if they don't care about it. They don't they don't wanna be there. There are far more lucrative um businesses you could be involved in um than music. So you have to have a passion and desire to want to do it. But at the same time, nobody cares as much as you care about your own music. And if you're willing to take on that responsibility, then and do the work, essentially, you you can be better off. I think that's that's my that's my rationale. And I think I've had a I've had a discussion with a lot of other you know bands over the last six months who have found themselves in similar positions, and and you know they've been inquisitive as to how we're kind of going about what we're doing next. And you know I've kind of tried to be as honest and as open as possible, and just say like, look, I don't think we have the answer but we are trying to find a way of making this work and i do feel hopeful um you know that the kind of the structure we have at the moment i, I do I, I have a good feeling about it i do think that it is a kind of it works better for us at least for the, for the time being you know and if we can get beyond um covid19 and we can start playing shows again then probably we'll have a we'll have a better idea about um you know quite how successful it is or isn't you know yeah, I mean, as well, there are things you'll learn from releasing this first album, like through that structure that you'll then carry on when you do another one in that kind of in the same way and using the same structure. Yeah, definitely, and um, you know, we've we've have had the benefit of learning from a lot of really good people on this again, and you know, that's excuse me, um, that is part of the the bonus I think about going more kind of on your own is that you know you're not saying you're going to do everything yourself, you're just saying you're going to make all the decisions, so. You know, we, we were lucky we worked with Jack Steadman on this. And again, like I said, Dave and Matt and um, a load of other people. And you're kind of learning from new people at this point. So you're not sort of stood there saying, oh, I know the answer to everything. I can do all this on my own. It's about kind of just thinking like, okay, what do you want to achieve? Um, who do you know that might be able to help you with that? And then can you come to some sort of an agreement with them where they will help you achieve what you want to do? Um and I think Nathan's another example who who mixed the record. You know, Nathan's um, done 
you know amazing things and, and we were quite lucky to to kind of find our way to to nathan because he was mixing one of our friends records um mt hadley you know martin's probably one of the most kind of ainly retentive human beings on the planet so him going through that process of finding someone to mix his record I kind of just went more like who did after doing that I was like who did you pick and um you know he was working with Nathan I was like well kind of even without listening I kind of know that Nathan must be the guy to do it because Martin wouldn't have let him do it otherwise so um you know it's a lot of this process is is a communication and a trust from people that that you respect and um you know that's how you end up coming to these kind of well-formed conclusions I think you know and and I think that's that's my my main takeaway it's like i think to a lot of people on the outside and i think probably to you know the likes of transgressive as well when i said you know we're, we're going to leave and you know when i told verdigree management we're going to we're not going to work with you anymore they're probably thinking oh that's pretty fucking arrogant like you reckon you can do this all on your own and it's like no that's not what i'm saying at all i'm i'm not going to do it on my own i'm going to work with people that i trust and i'm going to try my best to find those people and have really kind of honest conversations be like look this is what we've got can you work with us within these terms um and it may not be again we may be asking them to reduce their rate or do things quicker than they would normally do them but we're still looking for that level of expertise and we're still trying to to create something that's kind of you know really hard hitting and 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 kind of you know high end but do it on terms that are kind of more human and more more kind of friendly i think you know do you, do you think you find it easier now as well to trust people that you're kind of three albums in and you have that experience and you built those connections or is it harder in some ways as well to trust people yeah i think i mean i i do think i owe a lot to you know the time i've been in the industry now you know i've met a lot of people and i've, I've formed a lot of friendships and i think that's you know that is part of the the reason why we're able to do what we're doing now you know um i'm aware that a lot of things that that we've managed to achieve if you were starting out from the beginning and no one knew, knew you from Adam you wouldn't be able to do it and I, I am aware of that so I, I do think that you know at times perhaps some of the things I'm saying might come across as a little bit rich you know if you're a new band starting out then uh, you know of course you couldn't you know call up Matt De Jong and try get him to to do your artwork for you for next to nothing it's not going to happen but at the same time you could still do something similar with other people that you found on instagram you know you you find an artist you think oh they're really cool you message them and say hey would you be up for collaborating i've got this idea would you be able to do it and you know all of those things are achievable it's just you know you just you just take out some of the names and put them in with others you know i think you know it's the i think it's a different template to work and what i found a lot with working at um, with companies and working with um, labels is they kind of have their own people they go to and that's sort of how they save money and cut corners a lot of the time and you know it may often feel like it's your choice because you're given a few options but really you haven't you haven't made those decisions you know they they were sort of presented to you in a way that made you think that that was what you wanted to do and I think if you lose that from the beginning and it just has to start from your own decision making then you will end up with a result at the end which feels closer to, to your own vision. You know, I think that's it's that's quite a simple um, procedure. I mean, when it comes back to kind of having, like you're saying there about that vision, your vision at the core, and it's kind of you making all those decisions. When it came to the recording process of the sum as well, how did that kind of feed in? Because was a lot of this kind of done at home, like kind of in the, like kind of just done in your home studio, but then you kind of went into a bigger one. What was the kind of ratio like to there between home studio and... Yeah, I mean, I think that again was... Um, we're kind of playing with the limitations we had on offer 
you know, we we had a very strong sense of what the budget was because again, it's not the same principle when you work with a label. Okay, admittedly, they're going to tell you, look, this is what we're willing to spend, but you're kind of always working with this sort of assumption that well, if things don't really go well, like we can probably ask them for more money. Um, that wasn't the case, you know. We basically we toured for an entire year off the back of making Where Wildness Grows. We didn't pay ourselves a penny at the end of it because you know we weren't sure exactly what was going to happen. And so instead of paying ourselves, we had this lump sum of money that we were like, well, we can either take a gamble, pay ourselves, and then try and sort of, you know, get back to a, to discussing with the label about how we're going to make this record, or we go and spend all the money we've made on making a record, and then we sort of present it and say, well, look, this is what we've done, take it or leave it kind of thing. So we did end up going for the latter option, but it did mean that we had really kind of, you know, there were really clear kind of budgetary um, restrictions to what we could and couldn't do. So, you know, one of the first decisions we made was to continue working with Jack Steadman, who had recorded this one-off single with us. We did Atlas Please um, with Transgressive, and that was kind of a conversation we had working with them because we wanted to do this one-off single just to kind of, I guess, tease at what the next steps would be for the band. And um, Jack was someone that I knew from when we were teenagers from going to house parties and stuff. So, you know, I, I had a I had a rapport with him already, although, you know, we probably hadn't really spoken in the best part of 10 years, not properly anyway. So that kind of felt like something that I could get behind. And, you know, I, I, I did kind of, I was very excited about learning from Jack, I think, you know, because I was at that stage where I was very much in my own routine. Um, I think the whole band were kind of in a similar position where, you know, we sort of needed something to break up the way we were working, you know, kind of add something a little bit different. I think Jack did that. So, you know, we did that one-off single and, you know, that was the only real starting point for the album was like, okay, well, Jack, do you want to do, do a whole record? And, you know, the answer was yes on his side. So we were like, okay, cool, right? So that's that bit done. But then after that, it was like, well, how do we afford to go into a studio with Jack? And the answer was like, we couldn't really. So it ended up being this sort of bedroom album where it was us and Jack sat in a room. Generally, I mean, and when I say bedroom, it's literally, you know, like a, a small room and there's like five of us two of us sat on the floor leaning against the wall um you know it was like it was quite strange and i mean even for us you know we've done two albums i think we recorded the last album was in one of the maloko studios at pool which is like this big studio so for going from that to like our third album we're you know cramped in this bedroom with jack steadman it was quite a surreal starting point ultimately it was really fun it was really wholesome you know we'd go for lunch um we were doing a lot of recording at his mum and dad's house where he'd left a load of his stuff so, you know, we'd we'd sit down and have lunch with his mum and dad um, and then go back upstairs and record again. It was really surreal, but kind of lovely in a way. And then once we kind of decided that we were happy with the songs and, and we kind of had enough of an album together material-wise, we went in and did a few sessions with James Bragg, who recorded our first album down in Cornwall, which is just kind of a beautiful, peaceful place to go and work, you know, without all the kind of that high frequency and... The kind of noise and stress that you get being inside London you know we went and did a couple of weeks there just retracking bits and kind of trying to add a little bit more of a performance element to the songs because I think one of the main factors you find when you're doing a lot of bedroom recording is there's a lot of cut and pasting going on you know you're kind of like chopping together bits to try and make your structures but what can end up being lost is is that kind of sense of performance and like you know someone has played this song to you, um, which I think is still even, you know, even if you want to make things dancier, I still think that there should be an element of that involved if you're 
well for us anyway as a, as a guitar band i do think that's important yeah i guess it comes back to getting your personality across on the record yeah um and you know the, there was a lot of change um sonically that went on but i do think at the end of the day we did want it to still retain an element of it, of it being you know that this is four people playing music um i think that that had to be in there <laughs> to to some degree you know how many of you were in this was it just the four of you and and James, other the four of you and Jack, like when when you were in the studio and you were working with them, was that the setup or was there? No, so so there was there was the four. Um, so you know, we kind of started off. It was the four of us and Jack doing a lot of the tracking, and then um, it would be just Jack and I would be doing a lot of the kind of looking at all the vocal parts and trying to kind of finish off the songs. And we we would track all the vocals together, so it was kind of almost like I would be in the room, kind of singing the song to him, which again is kind of strange when I look back at it but you know it was at the time it was it was fun and it, it, that is quite nice now when I'm tracking stuff on my own I'm always like oh it'd kind of be good to have someone to perform this to and then you kind of you know what I mean it puts a bit more pressure on you I think to to deliver the to deliver the performance you need but yeah we kind of went from that stage to then going in the studio and we all went down to work with James so James kind of engineered and again it was like having another person to kind of validate all the decisions you made so we'd have Jack there um, and then James would be kind of, we'd be taking these file, files in and opening them up. And obviously, you know, James recorded our first album together. So he's kind of got his own opinions as well. Um, and it was kind of just another layer, really. And then beyond that, then it kind of gets taken and given to, to Nathan to mix. So, you know, it, we kind of had a lot of like stellar input, I think, um, before the record ended up being finished. You know, a lot of people that I trust and, and respect kind of signing it off at each stage you know before we got to that to that finished album yeah it's interesting what you say you know when you were working the vocals and stuff it was just you and, and jack in the room how do you feel like having less people in the room kind of affects your creativity and affects your performance when you're working in that kind of environment i think it was really helpful initially um having jack there i just think that it kind of made me step up to the plate a bit more i think everybody was kind of like well you know Jack's kind of he stood there and he's got you know he's got his gold plaques and he's he's done his thing you know he's had kind of a career that anyone would be proud of at the age of 18 you know so it's pretty like it sort of speaks for itself and I think everyone would kind of wanted to sort of you know justify their their worth um as quickly as possible and um I did think that everyone kind of rose to the challenge in that in that regard and it created sort of a healthy level of competition within the parts because you know everything's always up for grabs when you're recording so if someone comes in and goes look I've got a better idea for that bit than than what's there you know everyone has to be listened to I think that kind of helped drive things forward and push push the sound and and push the songwriting to to another level, you know. And I, I do think um, in very different ways, but I do feel like it was probably the strongest body of work we've made um, as a, as an album. But yeah, vastly different from from the way our first record or even the second record was was made. I just think that that level of kind of there was there was a sense of hunger making the album that perhaps didn't exist on the, on the two records before. You know, they were kind of especially the first one was just very relaxed you know you kind of just having a good time not really sure what's going to happen you know the the future is cloudy at best um but i think we kind of yeah we had a lot of desire and, and hunger when we were writing this last album you know we, we wanted it to be as as good and as special as as it could be i think you know how does that affect you emotionally going forward then when you know you've had that hunger and it's it's resulting in this wonderful album that you feel is your best body of work to date how does that affect you when you're moving on and looking to the future uh, what's your kind of headspace like i'm just trying to change again i think what it is we're trying to achieve because i think otherwise um you do run the risk of of disappointment you know i don't think we could do the same thing again you know 
and I, I've kind of I've had this you know I've sp- speaking to a lot of people recently they're saying oh well would you work with Jack again or would you you know who would you want to work with this time if you could work with someone and I, I think you know the conclusion I've come to is that I don't really want to work with anyone at this point we've taken that relationship and that journey to this point and I'm quite happy to kind of park it now I feel like we learned a lot as um as a group as well and um you know I think John was becoming more and more active in the in his production role um I think it's kind of something he's always wanted to to be more involved with so I'm happy for him to kind of to do that to be more involved this time around and I think you know where we're moving towards now is probably another self-produced album more in the vein of our first record but with all this kind of wealth of knowledge and experience that we've got now from from making three albums, you know? So I still look back and I still think our first album was the most fun process. And I know probably everyone will say the same thing. There was like the kind of the naivety and just the sense of playfulness that you have when you make your first album. You know, there's no pressure. You know, at that point, I don't even think we really had any sort of true aspirations or dreams for where it would end up. It was just four people having fun making you know the best recordings of the songs that they have at their disposal and you know i i want our next record to to feel as much like that as possible i think yeah i mean there is a sense of innocence in that debut record and a sense of kind of wonder almost you know yeah I, and I, I think you know you probably can't cheat that i don't think you know you can be four albums in and be naive i don't know what you've been doing um all that time if that is the case but um <laughs> i do think that taking the control back has to be kind of at the forefront of of the next record we make and you know we've we've already kind of started down that process and i I feel like it will be a slow a slow process it won't be like you know when we made sanctuary it was it was a whirlwind it was like full-on it was every day um there were really strict timelines to when we had to finish stuff by again and this is kind of part of the kind of deal you get when you work with kind of high caliber um people uh, around you you know they have their own deadlines and they have their own projects going on and you kind of have to fit into that or it won't work so you know we we don't have those limitations this time around which i think will inevitably mean there's a bit more meandering a bit more kind of looseness to to when and and how things get finished but i do think that it will be worth it in a sense of trying to kind of go back to to feeling like we've kind of found our own thing again you know something that feels just very uniquely us how do you maintain like a sense of perspective then throughout the process when you won't have a producer to kind of bounce things off of yeah i think that's right that's where i envisage things becoming slow um because well i think you know jack funny enough said the same thing when you know they did um the album before their last one um the one with luna on it that he he produced that himself and he said it was a nightmare just because finishing stuff was really difficult. It's my favourite album of those. Yeah, mine too, actually. It has a really kind of glistening production. Yeah, it's a beautiful soundscape. You can kind of tell it's been laboured over and it's, a lot of time has been taken to, to craft it. Yeah, and and that's kind of... So I think we're kind of at the same conclusion where I think that, yeah, he may have said that was a nightmare, but I think perhaps that was worth it. Um, so that's kind of, you know, that's where my head's at with that, really. I think, well... You know, we'll we'll have to come to that conclusion ourselves now. We'll have to work on it. And yeah, it won't be as straightforward because there won't be somebody kind of helping to navigate. You'll have to kind of take many wrong turns before you, you find, you know, the final destination. But often that can be the way that, you know, the kind of the real beauty and the essence of the album is established. Yeah, I think it comes back to the hunger you spoke about with this record as well, where, you know, looking forward you're willing to put yourself in a position where you know it's going to be more difficult you know it's going to be harder but you're willing to do that because it'll pay off and there's still that hunger there to 
to craft something different and special. Yeah, I mean, I think for anyone who knows me, probably one of the first things I'll say is that you know I'm I am competitive and I'm I'm very driven and I don't I don't see I don't see this as being our final stop. You know, I don't think you know it's not that I think we deserve better. I just don't think that we've done our best. Um, and I think they're two very different things. It's like you know I don't feel resentful about where I am, but do I think I've given the kind of best showing of myself or 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 as the band i think probably not so you know there's always this desire to kind of want to learn more um and want to kind of better what we've done previously that is the hunger i think essentially that's what it that's what it boils down to i mean when it comes to come back to the last record as well when it comes to the soundscape and kind of having a real understanding you know an understanding of that and how that feeds into the songs how did translating a kendrick song when you were doing that cover into that soundscape affect your understanding of how it worked and what it was that you created I actually found it really useful. Again, it's kind of it was refreshing to look at someone else's song and see and kind of dissect it. I mean, it's it's two chords, but it's masterful in its arrangement. I think a lot of the time when I was writing songs for Sanctuary, you know, I was getting really kind of caught up using like sixths and like nines and like trying to get really clever with the chords, and then was like, oh shit, like this is a really good song. That's just two chords, like you know. So every time I think that I'm kind of improving and, and bettering my musical knowledge, I kind of get a reminder that it's like, that's not what it's about. Like, that doesn't matter. You know, the essence of the song itself and, and kind of, you know, what it's doing doesn't have to be clever, not in, not in musical terms anyway. So it was a nice experience, I guess, just trying to, to make something fit into what we do. And I think, you know, we're actually, we're actually quite fond of doing covers now. We initially never did them at all. I think as a... You know, I've kind of come this far in my career without ever really playing anyone else's songs. I think the first time we did it was for my sister's wedding about three years ago when we had to learn a bunch of songs. And I was like, I've never done this before, like ever. I've never played anyone else's songs. Um, And it was a really kind of strange but fun experience, actually. And um, I don't know why it, it took that long, but I think at school I'd always rather write my own bad songs than play other people's good ones. And that's just the journey I've taken. And I don't think it's probably the right way to do it, but um, but it is the way I did it. So um, yeah, it has been an interesting kind of yeah experience. And I, I think doing something which is so out of your own genre can only be more helpful in a sense, you know, because it's, you know, there, there are elements to that which I think are really important that you would have in your own songs, you know, given the sort of rhythms of the vocals and stuff. You know, perhaps if you were writing your own song, you would use those kind of triplets and, and other kind of, parts that they're doing but you wouldn't have it on the vocal so it's just you know it's it's all it's all good experience and it's all it's all part of the learning process i think i mean what was your relationship to dan like and what was your relationship to that song like before you went and covered it i'm i've always been a big fan i think as a as a band um we've always been quite into hip-hop you know that element has always kind of lived within the bass and drums of our songs i think to to quite a large extent yeah for sure it's not yeah potentially not that noticeable but i think you know there's more and more kind of indie bands that do that i think you know we we went to school in like newington i think at that point rap music was always more popular than anything else um you know listening to guitar bands was definitely not the the popular choice um for music i mean you know i think we're we're part of quite a large group of musicians who have come out of that school and you know the majority of them are m- more urban than, than not I think you know the most notable names people like um, Labyrinth 
who have come out of that school and it's kind of we've we've been surrounded by that and it's always kind of been a part of what we've done whether we've kind of been involved with it or not you know so I think we've always had some sort of a relationship with that I mean how does having that you know relationship to the song as well then affect your performance of it you know when you kind of have that baggage there that you know you've enjoyed the song and you're going in to do a cover how does that affect your headspace when you're in the, the studio working on the on the cover of it well we did the cover quite quickly um we just recorded it with um one of John's friends again in a sort of a, a bedroom style demo so it was it was all done in the space of a day and that track sat there for ages there was initially there was a bit of a kind of um we recorded it ages ago and it was with um when we were with transgressive and there was a bit of a kind of hoo-ha about whether it was appropriate for us to do the song and we kind of sort of acknowledged that it could be a slightly sensitive subject um so we, we just ignored it for ages and then when it came to um doing the Annie Mac um, live lounge session, it was kind of came, we were like, we had to do a song. And, and I was kind of like, well, that Kendrick song we did, I thought it was pretty good. And then we kind of bounced that back and we, we were no longer working with Transgressive at this point. And our publishers were like, yeah, I think it's great. You should do it. You know, um, Liberator, our label, um, our new label were like, yeah, I think it's cool. So we just sort of, I guess it just parked that initial kind of fear of being like, you know, four white guys playing Kendrick Lamar. Like, is that cool? Like, do people need that? Um, and we just kind of went with it. And I think the response was 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 great, to be honest. So, you know, as much as I acknowledge that there perhaps could have been some sort of negative backlash towards that, I don't really see why there should have been. You know what I mean? And there wasn't. You know, we've just covered a song that we like. I think, you know, do we need to read into it any more than that? You know. When did you do the Animac uh, live lounge? When was that? Uh, I want to say February or January uh, this year. It all seems like a bit of a blur this year now. The real part of the year was only probably three months, and then after that, it's just been whatever. You know, we're on, we're in limbo, aren't we now? But yeah, I mean, that felt like a big moment. I think again, it's kind of one of the the landmark achievements of this this record. As you know, we got playlisted on radio one and although you know i guess to a lot of people it's like oh whatever who cares um it is that is quite a big achievement for a band without you know let alone not having a major label deal we don't even have a traditional indie deal at the moment so i think to try and you know get through that door it's pretty fucking big you know um i think everyone should be pretty proud of that achievement at least you know and to get to go and do the animax session on the back of that and you know i, I do think that we've we've made some some pretty big some pretty big steps given given the circumstances you know yeah i mean triple j as well that's another one another big kind of session yeah we did we did like a version as well i mean one thing is that you know we, we are signed to our australian label we're kind of signed wor- worldwide now so that is obviously a big achievement i'm not belittling that at all but i think it's um it was more achievable than potentially doing the animax stuff just because you know, despite the fact we all like to believe it's all very democratic and all the rest of it, there's definitely still, it's definitely easier for some than it's for others. You know, that's that's there. That exists in a big way. <laughs> what was, uh, I was going to ask, what was that the atmosphere in the live lounge like compared to the atmosphere in Triple J? Was it quite similar or was there differences there? It was way more nerve wracking at Triple J, to be honest. Um, that's like such a big deal in Australia. Um, the like version was terrifying. Um, we were so jet lagged. We, I think we'd done like we were probably on our fifth flight in about three days. Um, we turned up, you know, there's like this full crew, like there's probably like 15 people there, like setting up cameras. The guy who's like 
doing the mixing is like this legend who mixes loads of like Australian bands, like their actual albums. But he's like always been the um the like a version um sound engineer. So it's like pretty full on, like the label are there, the presenters are knocking around and um we started playing Heavenly Maybe and I was just so tired. I just couldn't even fucking remember the words. And I was like, shit, I'm gonna have to pause a sec. I'm gonna have to just go and listen to the song. And everyone was like, What the fuck is happening here? And I could see everyone in the control room like looking at each other like what 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 is gonna happen like um so we had to pause <laughs> i had to go back in check it and i was like okay cool i know what we're doing now went back in um and we played it and i was like shit that was really scary um but live lounge funny enough was a lot more relaxing you know it's just you and a couple of engineers they put annie mac through your headphones so you're not in the room with them and i don't know i for some reason i think it's just having all the cameras in front of your face and like the big lights and you're like shit I think that combined with severe jet lag was probably um, the closest thing I can imagine to my worst nightmare, really. But yeah, survived it anyway. I think we sort of got through it. We, you know, probably wasn't our best performance, really. But I feel like with those things, you just need to do them. And then if you have to do it again, it's going to be a lot easier. Um, so for both of them, it was quite nice to just tick those boxes almost, you know, and go, well, if we have to do another TV thing or we have to do another... Um, you know, live over Radio 1 performance, it will be less nervy this time than it was last. And that's kind of, I think that's as much as you can hope for that and just not completely fucking it up at the time. It's fascinating what you're saying there about having them hit being just that kind of intensity of that session coming off all those planes and stuff and just being knackered. Can like the emotional context, or can the emotional experiences rather that you have with a song change the context it kind of has for you personally like if you have a negative or a positive experience of the sun does that kind of change your emotional connection to it in any way i think it becomes quite abstract um in those circumstances you're just trying to like you i think you almost forget about it as a song and it just becomes this sort of obstacle course you're trying to like navigate through because you're so worn out like you know it's almost like you're you're at the point where you're almost like wanting to cry you're just like you're physically emotionally exhausted you know, it does have a real toll on your kind of mental state, you know, being sort of thrown around. You know, we were playing shows, um, you know, we're turning up jet lagged, playing a show after setting everything up, you know, packing down, you know, like selling merch at the end of the show, chatting to all the fans who've turned up, literally go like, you know, jump in an Uber after packing down everything, jump into to bed, sleep for three hours, get up, get on another flight, do the same thing again. And, you know, you only have to do that a couple of times before you're like, wow, I am fucked. Like, I don't even know where I am anymore. And um, I think we'd done, we'd done that three times and then got taken into the Triple J studio after that. So it was like, you know, it's just like being being battered over the head a few times and then being like, here, now now do this seamless performance and don't look rubbish. <laughs> um, oh. So, yeah, it was that was pretty intense. But I think, you know, it's one of those things, Once you, once we'd done it, there was this like, overwhelming emotional feeling of being like wow we we did that and it was it wasn't the worst thing ever you know it's kind of you know it, it was incredibly satisfying i think i drank about four pints and then fell asleep after that that was it like passed out in the pub touring is this weird thing where like it's so chaotic and all over the place and then there's like a half an hour each night where you have to be or an hour each night rather that you have to be completely in utterly in control and it's just this weird kind of juxtaposition to each other yeah i think you know especially when i don't know if it's easier or harder um at the kind of mid-tier I think like when you're a big band you're so pampered you know you're kind of driven there and I, I'm, I'm using 
examples of you know friends of mine that play in very successful bands that play arenas you know like they just they get taken there they don't even sound check um they're left to their own devices and then they just go and play for an hour and a half then they go back and they're, they're done that's it they, you know, there's nothing else again they have to maintain when they turn up to do that hour and a half show they have to be like 100 percent on it and you know when we do shows you know we're in the van we're discussing we're, we're sorting things out we turn up at the venue we unload we load in we set up um you know you're, you're doing all the sound check you get ready you play after you've played you probably go over you do the merchandise again you come off doing that then you go pack down the stage you pack up the van then you're off again there's a lot more work involved but at the same time you're always kind of busy so that by the time it comes to playing it's almost like okay cool we play now you know what i mean there's no real there's no build into it you know there's no like okay we've got to think about this it's just it happens before you know it every night so although it's probably considerably more you know physically draining um is it easier or harder to kind of switch it on i, I don't know because you know we haven't been on the other side yet but it is a different um it's completely different kind of arrangement really that you have it's interesting how those experiences differ so much well yeah i, I can only imagine that that is in itself quite you know strange if you're kind of like just pottering around trying to find things to do the entire day you know and you're in wherever you're in Leicester and like you, you're not you're not from there you don't know anyone there like you, you're just kind of wandering around for you know admittedly like 12 hours before you play a show you know that's got to be kind of relatively weird in itself as well you know and that's that's them on loop whereas for us on loop it's like we have you know there's a very very long list of things that need to be done every single day and it doesn't stop when you finish playing even so yeah completely just completely different worlds really and um you know at the same time we're sort of doing the same thing yeah i wanted to ask before we kind of wrap up as well, i want to ask about icarus it's probably my favorite song on the record that kind of it starts off by revealing this kind of you know intimate darkness and then kind of slides into a slightly more heartfelt affection it, you obviously you draw that contrast in it as well between your own kind of story and the myth how did the personal experience which fueled that song relate to the kind of you know the motif of the myth that you're kind of incorporating and using that story i think it's um probably the biggest theme for the song is just kind of this coming of age and this sense of like reality biting and it probably links in quite nicely with what we were just talking about and that kind of you know the fact that how much work needs to be done in order just to keep to keep going really and I think you know tragic or realistic however you want to think of it you know as as a child you're kind of promised that you can do anything you know anything is anything is possible that's kind of not true everything isn't possible you know there are loads of factors involved um you know probably luck being being one of them um you know circumstances are pretty can be pretty shocking as well um so it's that kind of like crushing realism but at the same time you know does it really matter anyway you know did you really want to become a professional footballer or a, or a fireman do you know what i mean was that was that actually what you wanted to do anyway? And does it matter, you know, where you are and what you're doing now? We can often get caught up in what our expectations were or, you know, what we were promised almost, you know, because essentially that's that's not really the be-all and end-all anyway, is it? So I think that's kind of where the song lives in my head. It's that kind of coming to terms with the fact that you're probably not going to... Um, achieve all the things you hoped you would when you're a teenager you know you won't you won't do all those things but also that's okay you know i mean i think it's important to kind of take stock and look at where you are in your life and 
and kind of feel like you were saying, I mean, it's this podcast, we started off you speaking about how grateful you felt about the situation you were in at the moment. It's, it's just, yeah, it's about being grateful for what you've got, I think, to a certain. Yeah, totally. I think everyone's, you know, it's kind of the, the ego is, is always going to be your enemy. And I think, you know, the older I get now, the kind of calmer I feel about those things. And, you know, it doesn't mean that you, you lose your ambition and you lose your drive. But I think it's just more the ability to just kind of take stock and, yeah, just kind of sit back and go, well, yeah, okay, this is okay, though. You know, it's pretty good. And like I said, at the, right at the beginning, I do feel very grateful for the position I'm in. I think if you if you genuinely found me at, at 17 and, and you said, oh, look, this is where you'd be, and I, I was shown it, I would probably, I'd, I'd grab it with both hands. So it's funny how even, you know, if I, I do have days where I end up feeling like, oh, shit, you know, I feel a bit down or whatever. But the reality is, is like I'm probably in a better position than I could have hoped, you know, really. But it's just trying to have that perspective, trying to keep it, you know. Does music, Jen, it gives you a better perspective of yourself, creating music? I do. I mean, I, I kind of, I think I've said it before, and I do feel like songwriting is a, is a kind of element, has an element of therapy to it. You know, I think you're often bearing your soul, whether you know it or not, you know. It doesn't always have to be intentional, but you're always in there in the songs. So, again, I think that's something which... I feel lucky that I have that as an outlet. Um, not everyone does. Um, or not everyone knows that they can do that, I guess. So for me, it's kind of, I've always found like, it's between the two things, funny enough, it's like between music and, and sport, generally, that's where I found my kind of, my, my, my clarity, my, um, you know, my therapy, as it were. Because I think, you know, either if I'm chasing a ball around, I forget about everything. And, you know, it's almost like that physical sweating out, the anxiety, the stress, um, or be it, you know, sat down on a computer trying to work things out in my head. Those two situations do seem to bring me back to a level, kind of a level mind. When when you're playing a game of football and you're completely lost in it and, you know, in the moment, and then when you're making music and you're in the moment, are those similar feelings or are they quite different? I think they're quite different, you know, and I, 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 I think they're both quite liberating in a sense and they both come, kind of have, I guess they do have kind of similar ambitions don't they you know there's like you're trying to you're trying to win when you're playing football but you're also trying to be creative you're trying to have a good time or at least I am when I, when I play anyway but um <laughs> I think with um music you're trying to do a similar thing like you want to you want to make something that you're happy with and feels creative but also you kind of want that that element of validation at the end where you play it somewhere they go oh yeah that's wicked I think they do um you know if you boil it down they probably do have very similar kind of ambitions um when you set up and you know one of the nice things I th- that I, I enjoy more than ever is, is kind of team sport and in, in the fact that, you know, you do have that kind of um, camaraderie and that element of, you know, trust in each other and, and, you know, you win or lose together. And I think, you know, being in a band has that as well. You know, there's like, you know, you're in it together, really. You've made, you've made these sacrifices together. You've made this commitment um, to try and make something wonderful um, and try and, you know, continue that journey for as for as long as you can really you know yeah i mean even out with that as well like the kind of strength of connection at them forges between you as individuals that carries out with the band is you know a really nice thing that comes from it too yeah definitely i mean i don't know where things end but i certainly feel stronger working in as a group than i do on my own I, i think there's always like no matter how kind of insular and autonomous we become or i become as as a writer i always look forward to that stage of kind of everybody getting stuck in and kind of contributing and adding their their bits you know I think that's kind of that's like a really exciting part of the process and, and always has been just just to round up what, what you're saying there about you know songwriting becoming a slightly more insular thing 
What do you feel songwriting has taught you most about yourself as a person? I think it's probably in equal measure. It's it's taught me about my own vulnerability, but also my own strength as well. I think you know you can you can sort out a lot of your own inner demons without you know a great deal of support, provided that you can kind of come to terms and, and navigate those those emotions successfully. There's a great deal of catharsis in in writing songs and, and performing them. I think, you know, it does seem to alleviate a lot of the pain that, you know, you may have suffered when, you know, before or during the process of writing those songs. So it kind of helps you come to terms. But also I do think that there's there's an element which is is quite healing as well, you know. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.